0: Move Thank you. Ah, okay. I'm Good morning. Um, I'm taking the third uh, sermon in this series. Uh, thank you for those uh, who, the few of you who responded to the online survey. You know, Raj mentioned it last week about you know uh, some some things you may want to know about suffering, questions to ask, and I, I can just address maybe one or two. Uh, today's uh, topic is on the perspectives of suffering. Uh, if you are reading the book, uh, if God is good, uh, it is eleven chapters. It's quite substantial. Uh, having gone through it uh, two hundred over pages of it, I just uh, think that i, I don 't want to do, i don 't touch use so much of the materials there i, I didn 't use a lot of the materials there. Uh, I recommend that you read it. It is quite a good section uh, but let me just um, address one question first, posed by uh, someone who uh, g- gave this question online. He said that you know we know this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And if this is true, how, how is it possible that some Christians, under the weight of the drows still commit suicide. Now, you may not know this. I've got a brother, the fifth in the family, who committed suicide at the age of 19, uh, a Christian. And I was just wondering. He was overseas. And, and it, I did think about this many, many times. Uh, was God in the room as a Christian in the days before that event? Did God speak to him in a still, small voice? Maybe in the scriptures? Could, could he have prevented my brother's death? So, well, it's not easy to answer these questions. Uh, to this day, of course, my family has no answers. Uh, the fact of suffering constitute uh, the greatest challenge, possibly the greatest challenge in a Christian life. And so, uh, I just want to... Address this properly, not adequately, but do it properly today. I, I want to address this person's question, all right? You know, uh, I'll use this illustration fire. Fire is a friend and a foe in a sense that it has potential for good and it has potential for bad within. Uh, proper boundaries, fire can warm us, it can cook our meal. Outside proper boundaries, fire will attack, it will destroy. And so it is with suffering. Suffering can pull the family together, uniting people through hardships. Suffering can also rip relationships apart because people become so bitter and angry. Suffering can foul the rough edges of our character. Suffering may also harden us further. So, you see, uh, I think that uh, it really depends. It depends on how we respond to suffering. Um, Sometimes suffering strengthens our faith. Sometimes it just extinguishes our faith. Uh, our response is important, and our response depends on whether we think biblically, which is why we are doing this. We are doing this series because we, think, we believe that it is important that we prepare the church for suffering, and we help people to think biblically. Uh, these are my thoughts. Okay. Uh, two types of suffering suffering can be bearable. In fact, a lot of suffering is bearable. Suffering is bearable when, I think, when we know that uh, there is a reason for our suffering, and we know that there, it lasts for a season only. So, you know, we live in a fallen world, we live with fallible people, so we accept. We accept difficulties at work, disappointment with people, we accept inconveniences and stress. We accept faults and failures. They are suffering common to people. They are bearable. We know it is for a season, so if if there is a very rebellious teenage kid, they will grow up to be adults. If we suffer a fracture, the fracture will heal and we will walk again. If we get retrenched, the next job will come. A season. It will end. It's bearable. I tell you what, When it is very hard and not bearable, I think that suffering is hard to accept when it is prolonged. And not only is is it prolonged, it slides from bad to worse. And we do not know why. And suffering is very difficult to accept when the situation we know is unchangeable. And so hope diminishes unchangeable. Sickness is chronic. The disease is incurable. The disability is permanent. The damage is irreversible. The circumstances is unalterable. Relationship is irreparable. Of course, in this situation, when it's unchangeable, hope starts to diminish. And that's when uh, people shipwreck their faith. And uh, in the state of hopelessness, they take their lives, they abandon their faith, uh, and things get really bad. So this is why we are doing this series. We want to help people to think biblically because our two earlier preachers have already emphasized this again and again. We will not get answers. A lot of the times, we do not know Why? And if you really need to know why before you can move ahead in your faith, you are likely to just slip away. Alright? Uh, especially if the your faith is so shaken and you see suffering as senseless, meaningless, needless, and God is cruel. So, okay. So, let's do the sermon today. Perspectives on Suffering. I think it is uh, an important sermon. I hope I will I can uh, uh, preach clearly. Okay, the first perspective. In fact, this is my main verse. Out of the 11 chapters in the God is good, if God is good, I want to concentrate on just this one dominant truth. God is sovereign. But of course, there are questions. These questions will not be, be answered, all right? The question is, okay, if God is sovereign, then he is powerful, right? Yes. And if he is powerful, he can prevent, he can stop, he can intervene, he can reverse, right? Yes. And if he's powerful, he can prevent it, then if he's good, he would want to prevent it and stop it and intervene, right? And if he doesn't intervene, I want to know why. Since that's where we are stuck. So by telling you that God is sovereign is, may not mean anything to you. It's not good enough. I know. So stay with me. Alright. Now the verse says this. This is a, a verse on sovereignty. Romans 8:28, the key verse. The truth you must embrace. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been caught according to His purposes. To His purpose, all things. All things means everything, including good, evil, suffering. Although God is not responsible for evil, this verse says that God can use evil for good purposes, all things. There is another verse. The next verse, Ephesians 1:11. In him we were chosen, we, in him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. Everything is an all-comprehensive word. That means nothing is exempted, ex- excluded, everything, all things, God can and God will redeem even the worst things that ever happen to you, to me, his children, and to bring them in conformity to his purposes and his plans. Now, I can't understand this. The Bible doesn't say that God will try to salvage a bad situation and try to make the best of the broken pieces. No, it's not like that. So sovereign is He that in all things, in everything, He is going to use everything that happens to us to, for good, for His purposes and plan fully in charge, fully responsible. Now, I, I want to give an example. I know that you have heard this story 50 times, 100 times, but it just happened to be a good story, right? God gave us a story. Okay, uh, sorry, I should have flashed this. All things, everything, He can and He does use evil for good purposes. He can, He will redeem the worst things, even the worst things that happened to us to conform to His will, all right? Let's look at the story of Joseph. You know, right, Joseph? Joseph's uh, uh, suffering, in my view, is horrific. Horrific because the people who were responsible for his slavery and separation from his father and family were his own brothers. It was the decisions of his king. And after that, he suffered injustice and was thrown to jail. The injustice of being sent to jail was by the action of a trusted employer. So, you see, the the people closest to him caused him great injury and harm. And for years, at least 20 years, from 17 to about 37, he never knew why these things should come upon him. He, he, He didn't understand his suffering. Until one day, when his brothers came and when people came to buy grapes, including his, his brother's family, and he realised God's plan, then he said these words, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance so, that it, so it was not you who sent me, but God, hey, come on. <laughs> Oh, when I read this, no, your brother sent you. But he said, no, God sent me. It was not you, but God. How is this possible? Let me tell you how this is possible. The brother successfully did evil, but God successfully brought good. Now, I'm, I'm sure God did not force the brothers to commit evil. But he intended the bad situation, which he could have prevented, but he didn't, to be used for good. You know, Joseph could say it was God, not you, because what the brothers did, that event, what happened that day, was so... So overwhelmingly subsumed under God's larger story, bigger story, the bigger plan. He's so subsumed that that event became a footnote. So you see, yes, there was an evil paragraph in the book, but after writing the book for 20, 30 years, 50 years, and then he died 110, it became, you can no longer say that the brother wrote anything. It was God who sent me. You see, it is—he took an evil paragraph and he just wrote the entire script, completed the script, and said that. Well, anybody reading is it? Said, of course, it's God's book. The rest, the event, is just footnotes. So you see, this is what I mean. Something evil, but God will take over. God will use it. He didn't prevent it, but He will use it and He will turn it around and He will change the script so that it ends up good for us and according to His purposes, uh, everything will be in conformity to His will. Wonderful. This is sovereignty. Now, there is another example in the Bible the book of Philippians was written by Paul in Rome when he was under house arrest. He was in jail. And, of course, the, uh, the, the, uh, the churches were very concerned. I mean, w- wouldn't you be concerned if... Uh, you hear news of our missionaries being arrested, interrogated, and for months they are not released, and then after that, the elders and the, the deacons are then caught up, uh, you know, and the, the investigation, because of investigation, we are also being uh, jailed. Would you not be concerned? Well, the super apostle was in jail. The churches were concerned, and they were worried, and Paul had to then write this letter to assure them. This was what Paul wrote in verse uh, 12 and 13. Now, I I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains. Let me me paraphrase this a bit because you've got to understand a bit more of the history in chapter 2, the rest of the story that's unfolded in the other chapters. What Paul is saying is this. Church the situation is not like what you think. You think I'm cracking up? You think I'm frustrated? Far from it. This is the best thing that could happen to me. God has enabled me to do what I wanted to do. The roadblocks are removed. Church, I am chained to a praetorian guard all day. As a result hundreds of the imperial guards, the magistrate who interviewed me, the officials who visit me, the lawyers who want to talk to me, the palace staff, they are now exposed to my preaching, they receive my teaching, they hear my prayer, they listen to my testimony, they know that I'm a prisoner for my faith and not for a crime. They are impressed and they are talking about it. This is what, uh, Edwin's Amplified Version, Uh, this this is what, Paul was saying that evil, yeah, evil was committed. Satan was at work, but Satan was not the only person at work. God used that evil paragraph and he started to write the rest of the script so that it turned out to be a good story in conformity to his will and purposes and for the good of the gospel and for the good of the man and for the good of the church. Wow. All things work together for the good of those who love Him. All things, everything in conformity to His will. Now, for the rest of the message, I say that this is the key verse, the key thought, the, the, big, the big truth. Keep it in mind. Romans eight twenty All right? Now, the rest of the sermon, which is two parts, I am going to show you... Um, how this reality is worked out in two different situations. Okay. okay. I, the other verse which I wanted to show you was actually Isaiah 46 10. My purposes will stand, I will do what I please. All right. This is the Old Testament uh, passage on sovereignty. Now, first situation. Let's 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 get this right. Okay. Uh, all things work out for good. Good? Yes, good. Who's good? Our good. What is the ultimate good? Now, to understand what is the ultimate good, you have got to read the next verse. Now we always read we always quote Romans 8:28, but Romans 8:28 must be read with Romans 8, 29. This is what 29 says. For those God foreknew, we, us, He also predestined to conform to the image of His Son. God will all things for good. What is the ultimate good? The ultimate good is that we will be Christ-like. So you see, everything, the agenda of God, the purposes of God, Uh, all the energies of God, everything is squeezed and constrained to achieve this ultimate good in all of us, that we will be Christ-like. Christ-likeness is the ultimate good. So the Bible says then that sanctification is God's will. It is God's will. Our sanctification. So let me put it this way, okay? If the ca- if the destination is character, Jesus Christ, then the road there is perseverance, and the vehicle we need to ride on is faith. And uh, this this path to character on the vehicle of faith is suffering. Uh, which is why we need to persevere. Character is forged on the anvil of pain. And I don't know whether it surprised you, you know, because Jesus was a man, we are men. Jesus was not exempted from this exact same route, this same process that God wanted to subject us to. Jesus went through and traveled. Amazing. Look at this. Not even Jesus was centered. Hebrews five verse eight and nine. Although he was a son, the Son of God who came from heaven, the perfect son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Amazing. You know why? Because he was man, and with men we have the same desires and uh, we have the same urges. And he had to say no. I submit. No, thy will be done. Okay, I will forego this. All right, I will take this. Whatever God, whatever your will. And in Gethsemane, you you have a glimpse of that that man, Jesus, struggling. God, have mercy. No. All right, God's will be done. And he struggled a second time, and he prayed the third time. He learned obedience from what he suffered. Another verse, Hebrews two ten. It is fitting that God should make the altar of their salvation, who Jesus, perfect through suffering. It's very clear. And if Jesus needed this process to be made perfect through suffering, should we not? The followers of Jesus go through the same process and take the same road to character. The destination, of course, not. Now, there is a. If we can understand this, okay, then a lot of verses in the Bible will make sense. For an example, uh, Romans eight seventeen, we share in his suffering. You see, he. He had the suffering, now we share with Him in the suffering in order that we will also share in His glory. Hebrews 12, 5-11. Uh, this this uh, word, in, in some version, uh, the word is ch- chasen, chasten, uh, like uh, K- K- King James Version, but the, the modern version has trained, because it is, it, it is not punishment, it is training, it is discipline. So let me read it. The Lord... The Lord trains the one He loves. He corrects everyone He accepts as His son. Put up with hard times. God uses them to train you. He is treating you as children. What children is not trained by His parents? No, discipline seems, uh, seems. I think, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. And so, because this is good, this is necessary, and there is a destination, there is a purpose for this, oh, uh, sorry. You know, we can endure it, right? Hebrews 4.15 says that he was tempted like us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, uh, but who in every way was tempted and yet he did not sin. Now, another related talk, I want to use two metaphors. The first metaphor is that of child training, uh, discipline. The second metaphor is below, pruning. In John chapter 15, 2. Jesus said that I am the vine. My father is a gardener and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Take a look at this a little bit more carefully. Who is the vine? Jesus. Jesus is that vine, and we are the branches, right? And the gardener is God. The gardener prunes, cuts off parts of the vine. Who hurts when we are subject to difficult trials and, and discipline? I think, I think the vine, you know. don't do, do think that Jesus is just enjoying himself in heaven, just watching us that I have finished my part. Now it's your turn to suffer, alright? And just do a good job. No, I think he's involved. He is the vine. We are the church. We are members of the church, and the vine is being cut down. And these are perfectly good branches. They are not diseased branches, but they have to be cut so that when one good part is sacrificed, the other part becomes. More fruitful, it yields more. Something got to go. And, you know, I don't think that God uh, will, will exempt us from this. And, and so Paul, who had this perspective, so clear he was in his think, understanding of God's agenda that he, he wrote to you know, uh, 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 Paul in Romans 5 3, and James in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy when there is pruning and when there is disciplining. Both are good. Consider it pure joy. Brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, you are driving on, on faith, will develop perseverance, Then we just go further on the road of perseverance, which must finish its work and we become mature and complete. We will then finally reach the destination of character. And Romans 5.3, but in this, we, rejo- we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance will lead to character, right? Character and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Um, so this this is God's ultimately ultimate good plan. Our growth and pain is part of growth. Do you think that God will stop this pruning when we stop His hand? Well, maybe for a little while, but it's going to come back. It will come back in another form. I don't know. I I don't know whether you. You have encountered situations like this. You don't like your boss and you just can't put up with him. I resign. And then the next job is back. It's another phase of the same problem. Or sometimes you just want to avoid problem. Uh, you, you can't put up with the nonsense in the ministry, and you change ministry, or you quit the ministry. And God's pruning come back in another way. God doesn't stop pruning because it is not in the nature of a good father to exempt us from what is good. So he who has begun a work, he will complete what he has started. But I can assure you, he will package this set of of suffering that is both suited for each of us so that we have an opportunity to grow through it. All right. Now, let me, let me give you a exa- few examples of how, how much pruning can hurt. And I can, I can understand. I know what is happening in your life. I've gone through this. Maybe the pastor will tell you one day, friend, I know you've built up this ministry. You've got to close it down. It doesn't align the church. All right, We are going simple church now. It doesn't align. Close it down. And maybe you have been you have been in this cell for twenty years. Relationships are great, and say that, and the pastor say that you got to disband. You're not growing. Let's. So many leaders in this group. We are going to totally reorganize this band. Or maybe you are serving well, and you say, brothers, we have enough people in this ministry. Let's give the young people a chance. Can you step down? Oh. From leadership positions, it is time now for you to retire. I know there are so many situations that God can just uh, cause perfectly good branches to be lopped off. And you will feel the pain, but it is for your good. Remember, you may think, no, 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 this is the work of man. But that, that troublesome man is not the only one who is at work. For in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. And so He can use whatever situation, whatever painful, difficult situation, He can turn it around, write a better script, and that it will turn out to be even better. You will be even more fruitful. So what must we do? Next time when we have a situation like this, a troublesome boss... A difficult colleague, a pastor who always but Godfire is not here, I can tell. Barks me. I'm gonna pray. God, I will submit to you. But please, while I'm suffering, build some character. And when character is built, make the pastor like me again. You know? But that's the way we should pray. Submit. You are wiser, you are better, you are sovereign. I sub- Meet. That's the way. I know it's not easy, but I have to just say it. I want to give you a few stories. And I'll tell you, they are good stories. I've got to go quickly. Now, I have a friend, Stephen. Uh, we were in the army together. And uh, uh, they, uh, he and his wife, they had problem conceiving and so they accepted the fact that they will not have children. And then his wife conceived. So they rejoiced and they were very happy but uh, in the 23rd week of pregnancy uh, she sensed that something was wrong. There was no movement. They had her checked and they realised that the baby had died in the womb. They grieved and then they had induced labour gave the child a proper barrier. And they were prepared to just accept. And then she was pregnant again and they rejoiced and And the third month, uh, that, that should be the second trimester, right? The baby died. Twice. You know, I didn't know how to comfort them. I didn't talk about it because I don't share their experience. How can I comfort? In fact, they were so overwhelmed with grief that they had to leave church for three months because they just don't want the pity and the question. They just need to grieve. So they went to another church. And so... Many years later, I asked him, you know, Stephen, I I just need to know, talk to me about your spiritual journey. What happened? What was in your mind? Are the questions resolved? What questions did you ask? How did you get through this? And he said, well, actually, we asked why. We never got an answer. God was silent. In fact, up to today, we we don't know why. But I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Not long after the grieving period, God started to speak. And God told me that He knows what I'm experiencing. He was there and He cares. And all the verses from quiet time to songs to sharing to sermons, it was just about love. love. They were so overwhelmed with love that they felt the... The spirit of comfort, they they felt the the embrace of the Holy Spirit comforting them. Uh, That I was silent does not mean that I was absent. That that was the message. And so, let me tell you what happened after this. Because they came back stronger, they were revived, they they were more devoted. They sold their flat to raise money and then they went to overseas for their theological education both of them they came back as pastors so both of them are pastors now beauty out of ashes who gets glorified when pruning happens the gardener gardener has a stick in pruning so you see this is a special package of suffering child training that is most suited to these people who have great potential. And they got to know through these circumstances that if I write the script, can you give me this, this unfortunate circumstance? Give it to me. I will write the rest of the script. You will turn out good. Do you believe? You have no answers. I will not give you answers. Why? I had to give you the pregnancies and take child children away. Give it to me. And they did. Beauty out of ashes. The purpose of pruning is to increase fruitfulness. And uh, I want to give you another example. Helen Roosevelt. now, I like She's a whack missionary. It's because of Wayne and Miriam that I thought, maybe I should just find out who this person is. And I bought some of her books. This is a great book. This book is called Living Sacrifice. If you want to know more about the different ways God prunes, oh my goodness, this is the book to read. This missionary went to Congo for 20 years as a missionary doctor. You know how much she had to give up? She was trained in Cambridge. You know, the possibilities available to her in England as a Cambridge trained doctor... She left all that, she left home, she went to uh, Congo. And this is what he wrote, she wrote, I want to read it for you. You know that uh, he, she said in her book, over the first four years, I gathered together a few personal possessions, as, as everyone does. Uh, and in my home in uh, Bongo, I began to fill it with pictures on the wall, uh, photos of calendar, and uh, on cardboards, rush mats on the floor, some books on the shelves, you know, rough wooden planks, uh, balance and bricks, uh, you, know, not very ornate, but the books, the books they helped, became very precious. Uh, there was a growing library of Bible commentaries, devotional books, including some very rare copies of 13th- to 14th-century mystics. And and of course, there were much-used medical, surgical textbooks kept up to date. Uh, Practitioner's journals. And there were some highly prized, personal-signed, first-edition books collected by me uh, in in book lovers, uh, uh, who were book book lovers. uh, Sorry, he said that, who were collected by me, by those who were in the book lovers' world. And then he tells the story that the home that she lived in uh, was already 13 years old. It was used by a previous missionary, an earlier missionary. And it had a very high-pitched, uh, grass-tached roof. It was invaded by ants. And despite careful and and uh, cautious watching over, it was beyond repair. So they had to replace the roof. And so they gathered the materials. Uh, uh, they wanted to make a permanent, uh, co- uh, corrugated, asbestos sheeting roof, a, a better roof. And they got to choose a time for this. This is Congo. It must be done during the dry season. And the dry season is from Christmas to early February, six weeks, guaranteed. Really, no rain. So they removed the roof. And uh, so they, they sleep in the open air, you know. And the next day, they were supposed to, to fix the roof. And in the middle of the night, she heard some sound. She felt wet and she was soaked. And she got up, there was water everywhere, cascading rain. The pictures were crumbling, the the walls were drooping, and everything was there was white lime wash. Everything was a mixture of mud and lime. It was soaking. She quickly got an umbrella, hid herself under a, 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 what did she say, a raincoat. But she was so disheartened. And she just sat there and she just cried. And the Lord said this, you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Yeah, God. Mock me with Hebrews 10:34. And there was a steady platter of, of rapid falling rain, and this is the dry season. Six weeks. This is December. It's supposed to be dry until February. And you had to send the rain now. And because of this, everything was ruined. And the Lord. That was pruning. You know, when I read the story, I don't know if you've been to my place. Uh, I just, I have so many books and they are very precious. I can identify with her. And she, and the Lord spoke to her, do you love me more than this? And she said, thank God. Was my love a pretense? If I really love God as deeply and keenly as I profess. How could I be upset over the spoiling of my books? Just a few material possessions had God perhaps allowed this to occur to make me face reality? No, that's a long chapter. I won't read the rest, but pruning. Perfectly suited for her. And she suffered a lot more. You can read about it in this book. The third story. I cannot tell the third story. I gotta move on. Now, <laughs> the first God works out for good. What good? Our good. But there's another good it is for the good of others. You see, in the first case, the ultimate good is that we develop character to be like Christ. Character training is necessary. involves pain. Submit. Let God do the child training and the pruning. In a second situation, sometimes it is not suffering. The suffering is not for the sufferer. Suffering is a gift from one person for others. It can also be like this. But it is still good because it achieves God's good grand plan when he writes the script. So let me uh, illustrate what I mean. Okay, so, uh, you can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 to 16. Paul said that, you know, I am hard-pressed, I am perplexed, I am persecuted. Uh, and then he, in verse 10, he said, we always carry around the death of Christ in our bodies. In that way, the life of Christ can be shown in our bodies. We who are alive are always in danger of death because we are serving Christ. This happens so that his life will also be shown in our earthly bodies. And then he said this, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. All this is for your benefit. God's grace is reaching more and more people so that they become more and more thankful. God's grace is reaching more and more people. All this is for Your benefit. Now, back to Philippians, all right? Uh, To to make it clearer, remember I told you that in Philippians uh, the the book was written in Rome uh, when he was in prison to, to this. There is another verse in Philippians. Paul said this Because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Do do, do you know what I mean? When I read this, I say, of course, it's happening even now. I read missionary books, biographies, uh, a few uh, about uh, Chinese pastors who were incarcerated for years, decades, and in those books that were written, the, the story is very consistent. The more they persecute the pastor and jail and and keep the leaders away, the more the members are resolute and they just toughen up, the more they want to also share in the suffering and they are the tougher and stronger they became. Life, death in me, life is happening in you. My suffering is the gift for the church. In Paul's case, it was like this. And now I can tell a story. Michael Wilson Carmichael, missionary from Ireland, is an Irish uh, missionary who went to India in 1895. He served in India for 55 years. He, uh, without a furrow, okay, 55 years. She became aware when she went to India that young, pretty. Intelligent girls were taken from their homes to be temple prostitutes, and she was very burdened. God put in her hearts to save these girls from moral ruin and to from ruin and to train them uh, in, in the will of God. So he set up an orphanage, and the work expanded. It's a wonderful work. And uh, quite early in her ministry, she fell in, she slipped into a pit, and it permanently crippled her leg. And in the last 20 years of her life, she died in India, uh, she endured almost constant pain, confined in the bed, rarely leaving her room. But on that morning, when that incident happened, she had prayed this. Uh, She prayed this. Do anything, Lord, that will fit me to serve you better. Do anything, Lord, that will make me fit to serve you better. And then, the accident. During those last 20 years when she was confined in bed and in her room, she wrote 16 books. Well, of course, you can say that, well, yeah, maybe God's will is that, yeah, now I can explain, you know, uh, uh, otherwise she wouldn't have the time. And, but that, that is not the only thing, I'm sure. God was still molding this child. And, you know, one of the great things, which I want to use this example as her suffering, uh, death in her life and others, was because many, many people were inspired by the writings of Amy Carmichael, including Jim Elliot and Elizabeth Elliot. In fact, Elizabeth Elliot said that she would, She treasured the words of Amy Carmichael. She was inspired by her. She was an inspiration. It was one of the reasons why she also chose the vocation to be a missionary. And she would plow through her books and find comfort in the books and to learn from her writings. Death in me, life in you. My suffering is a gift to you. In all things, God works for the good those who love him, you know. Um, this is this are pictures of Mount Everest. Uh, it is, I think, after the earthquake, is a little bit. It could be a little bit taller, eight eight five zero meters, or in feet, it will be about twenty twenty nine thousand thirty five feet. Uh, I have a quote here from uh, Tenzing Norgay, who went, uh, who scaled Everest with uh, Edmund, Edmund Hillary. You know, she said, she told the son, Jemling, you can't see the entire world from the top of Everest, Jemling. The view from there only reminds you how big the world is and how much more there is to see. Of course, we know it is because of the curvature, uh, the, the curvature of the earth will limit how much we can see even from the summit of the highest point on the planet on a clear day, we will not be able to see so far. Likewise, from the summit of biblical understanding and revelation, we can only see so far as God's promises to the patriarch and and, and others. Well, just a, just a further this direction, but not in all directions. The curvature of time limits our ability to see beyond our lives. Even if you reach the summit of biblical understanding and revelation, you will not get the full picture of what God is doing. And so, as Ben said, repeated by Raj, And I'll say it again suffering will always be a mystery. And this was what God told Job. You know, Job Job is in a far disadvantaged position than us. He was in the foothills of spiritual experience. He didn't have the Bible and the Holy Spirit indwelling him. He didn't know. And so God didn't bother to explain to him. God just said that. Look at the cosmos. Can you explain anything? If you don't understand, just accept it. And, and he did. Okay. And uh, there was a, a guy called Stephen uh, Vannevels who reached the summit in 1988. You know, and, and it, it was it would be something like the one on the uh, bottom left. He 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 wrote this in in his book. Uh, I looked down the west ridge which disappeared into whirling clouds I looked to the right where the northeast ridge also dropped away into the clouds I could not see beyond uh, Rongbok Glacier nor the Kama Valley and then to the south yet there were more clouds friends maybe the submit of understanding that we look we long for will not give us the answers in fact, I'm sure it will not give us the answers. So what do we do? I have to conclude the sermon. Let me let me give you this uh, few thoughts. By way of conclusion, we are on the journey to Everest, and we we want we want to scale higher. We we have to. All right, this we are advantaged we have these maps, topographical maps, suitable for climbers. We have an excellent compass, the Holy Spirit. We can see the span of biblical history. We know God's faithfulness in keeping His promises through the ages. It's all here. This is the basis of our hope. We may not get all the answers here, but we know. When we hit a valley and it is dark, we know from topographical maps, stay there, it's cold, it's dark, turn left. Don't turn left again, turn right. Stay there. It's going to, there will be an opening and then there's a cleft, hide there and rest and rest. There are clues here. No answers, but there are directions here. Something like that. I'm just illustrating. We may not fully understand God's ways, but we know God's big plans. We have God's grand purposes. We know His good intention. This is enough. So what must we do? We don't need to look for answers in every trouble. Even if it's deep sorrow, extremely hard trials, we need to fix our eyes on the shepherd who knows the way and leads the way. We need perseverance to run the race. Uh, Hebrews 12:7. Endure hardship as discipline. Hebrews 12:1 to 2, let us run the race with perseverance the race marked out for us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. It is, I'm, I'm saying this because, brothers and sisters, this is a very mature crowd. I'm not preaching to youth. I'm not preaching to kids. I'm preaching to adults. It is our responsibility to map out the terrain of faith with even greater accuracy in this spiritual journey. This is good. Our children needs our stories too. Our children needs to see us suffer and see how we get over it and how we handle, respond. They need to see it. We need to chart the map with greater accuracy. We are not painting for our children. We are making maps for climbers. Your children will be climbers Someday, and the better we understand God's ways, the better we handle suffering. The better our future climbers, your children, will navigate their way in the terrain, the terrains of faith. Wonderful. All things work out for good. For who? For those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's you. That is you. No time for closing song, but I'll pray. Let's close in prayer. Father, you are a God who sees and cares. We know. The Bible tells us so. You are a God who listens and speaks. We know. We have hurt you. You are the God who touches and transforms. We know. We have seen it. You are the God who can calm the wind and steal the waves. You are the sovereign God. No, you are not an indifferent God. If we have been embittered by people, if we have been hardened by disappointments in the past, God, forgive us. Heal us. Help us to understand that whatever happened in the past, whatever is happening to us now, you are in charge. The sovereign God is writing the rest of the script and God, we want to submit to your wisdom, your love and your plans. Help us to believe in you even when you are silent. Help us to hope again and trust in your unfailing love and in your unfathomable wisdom. You said in Philippians 1.6, that you who have begun a good work will carry it to completion. Thank you, God, that we the work in us will be completed. And one day, we are going to reach the destination of character where there will be a great unveiling of the saints. And I pray, God, that because we did not resist disciplining and pruning, at the unveiling, it will be a really great product. So help us, God. We thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.